worldwide internet. Hello, Mike Urie here from the Vox World headquarters in Columbus, Ohio, which still feels weird to say. Um, wanted to spend some time. I, I, I'm, I'm without Andy. I'm Andy-less, and uh, I still haven't set up the equipment because I'm not really sure how to capture Andy, and so we can kind of coordinate um, a podcast together. So you're getting this one just alone with me, and I know that's such a, such de- devastating news. Many of you will turn off right now. Um, but for those of you soldiering on, uh, we're still, the Eries are still unpacking. We're, we're close. We're closer. I spent yesterday doing construction, which if you know me, you know how utterly improbable that is. But we were framing um, some, some stuff in our basement. Um, and life is just kind of going on. The kids have started school already. We're grateful for all who've chimed in and asked. And for those of you that have given us your email in terms of a Columbus uh, mailing list or Ohio email list, we're going to get some stuff out here this week to you. So stay tuned for that. Um, I wanted to, to take a break from Sex, Love, God. Thank you for the feedback on us dripping that out. We we hate kind of re- recycling material, but um, again, there was so much response to that the first time. We felt like we've been wanting to you you know have, find an opportunity to have that conversation again. But I, I wanted to talk briefly today about Charlottesville, and I'm recording this about a week and a half after um, that happened. And um, did that on purpose, just because it's it's very easy, um, you know, as we're all watching this, not only to be horrified, but to, you know, uh, jump to all sorts of pronouncements. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time thinking about it, and uh, and 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 kind of watching how the church responded, um, and how Christians on social media were responding. And and we got a question in last week uh, from a guy named Jack, who I think put it very well. He said. Um, can you provide more insight into how the church should shine during such times? What should we as followers of Jesus be thinking and doing in response to these situations? We witness horrendous acts by very evil people, many of them self-professed Christians. We're told to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but given this tragedy and so many others like it, I ask myself how I can love and have compassion for such evil people. I know there must be a way uh, that I should, how can and how do we reconcile these seemingly conflicting things? Can you please provide us with more specific guidance and help? Now, our friend Tim Mulehoff, uh, I think, took a crack at this yesterday in our community. Uh, I wanted to take a crack at it too. Not, you know, not because he didn't do a good job. Of course, he's amazing. But because um, I, I feel like these are incredible opportunities to, to talk about things that haven't often been talked about. Uh, in evangelical circles, at least the circles that I've been kind of running in and have been you know, grown up in. And so, um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't feel like the world's breathlessly waiting for, for Mike's take on this, but I do think the, the scriptures have so much to say um, and so much guidance to give on this. So, a couple of points, and, and this won't be super long. Um, you know, a lot of it's, a lot of it's very obvious, but the first one I think that gets overlooked a lot, the first point is that, that racial reconciliation is at the very heart of the gospel. And what I mean is the gospel is more than just the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and reconciled individual people to God. 
Jesus, when Jesus announced the good news, he talked about it being good news for the poor. He talked about it being uh, the announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of shalom or peace, the kingdom um, that God, that, that, that it's the sphere or the realm over which God is king and the things that God wants done are done. And so Jesus was the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus perfectly lived God's will for humanity on earth as it is in heaven. And and so um, part of what Jesus did in bringing the kingdom and modeling the kingdom and displaying the kingdom is that Jesus brought peace. Now, yes, he does say he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Uh, that's a quote from somewhere else, and there's context for that. But what Jesus was very interested in is that Jesus's kingdom was a kingdom of shalom. It was what God's original intention was for the planet, where things are in harmony with one another, where there's this sort of organic wholeness, where all the pieces fit correctly. Uh, the, the human beings care for the animals, and the animals, um, I don't know what they care for. And, and you know, there, there was this, supposed to be this integrity to all things. Well, sin and death disrupted that, and we now live in the fractured, sort of bloody world that we live in. But God's original intention was a world of shalom. Jesus comes to return that. And what Jesus does is he begins to reinforce just all of the scriptures teaching on on race, on humanity. I mean, when the Bible begins by saying human beings were made in God's image, um, when Paul, in a in a speech to to Gentile philosophers, you know, talks about how um, we all are descended from one man, Adam. And you know, he's speaking to a patriarchal culture. I get that. But his point was there's no basis of superiority. That's what he's good at. Paul's world uh, and the world of Jesus was, was a full of cultural superiority, just like you know, in some pockets of our country today. Um, and, and there was just no, no room for that. I mean, Paul and Jesus were constantly undercutting any assumptions that can undergird the idea that one race is superior to another race. So the Bible begins by saying all people are made in God's image. Um, and, and that's why all hierarchy from anybody, anywhere, at any time should be adamantly and roundly condemned by the church. Why? Because no image bearer gets to say to another image bearer that they're less important, less valuable, less worthy. Um, and, and, and so, so often what people have done with racial reconciliation, with, with talks about race is they made it a political issue. So it's just for the liberal churches. It's just for the mainline churches. It's just for, you know, it's, it's just for those bleeding hearts. And, and, and that one of the worst sins of the American church in the 21st century so far has been, we've made everything partisan, um, and political. And, um, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. This is a gospel issue. It could not be more central to the outworking, the good news of Jesus, that Shalom is, is, is introduced and furthered into the world. So we begin by saying all people are made in God's image. We continue by saying that God's intention for the nation of Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. God's heart was never just for one people. God's, uh, God, God elected one people merely as a means by which to bless the other peoples. Even though at times Israel got confused on that, same way America gets confused on that, um, the Israel was to be a 
Uh, and God's people today are to be an instrumentality of blessing to the rest of the world. God's heart is always for the nations. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus, right? Even though he says specifically he is here to reach the lost sheep of Israel, he has these encounters with people that are so ridiculous. I mean, you think of the Roman centurion. Again, the Romans were terrorists to the Jews, right? They were crucifying thousands of Jews. And and they, I mean, the terrorism, if they would have had the word, would have been the word or a word they would have used. And so for Jesus to heal a Roman centurion servant, or for Jesus, that the Samaritans were considered half-breeds to the Jews. They were, they were the, the, the leftovers from the Babylonian exile that were left in the land because they weren't rich enough, powerful enough, talented enough to go into exile and serve Babylon. And what they did is they intermarried with uh, other tribes that Babylon brought in to populate it, the, the land of Israel. And so they were this these half breeds, mudbloods in the in the language of Harry Potter, and um, and, and so when Jesus engages with a Samaritan woman, uh, not from a place of of condemnation, but rather instead he teaches her theology. He talks uh, about worship with her. He actually in John's account is the first one that hears that the, this Jesus is the Messiah. I mean he's he's acting so counterculturally. Um, it, it's absolutely crazy, and he does this with lepers. He does this with demon possessed people. I mean, anybody who was on the list of outcasts or misfits, tax collectors, sinners, I mean, people who were hated by the religious elite. And the hatred often turned into violence. Uh, um, I mean, the, the mobs, the riots that would go on in Paul and Jesus's day, I mean, were, were, were awful compared to what, um, what we see. And so you have to understand in, in, in that environment, Jesus, his preaching and his action was prophetic against any idea uh, of racial superiority, any idea of hierarchy or division. And, and this is what Paul, Paul takes his cues from this. And for Paul, I mean, this guy, Paul was a Jew among Jews. I mean, he was, he was as so zealous for Judaism, he was murdering Christians who he thought, you know, were mud, that was a, like a false Jewish sect. He's, that's what he thought Christians were. And he's murdering them in, the, in, in his zeal for Judaism. I mean, so the irony of God choosing a guy like that to be a guy who then starts writing things like, hey, in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Um, he says another things in Colossians where he names barbarian tribes, and 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 what he's doing there is he's and he he most explicitly says this in Ephesians when he talks about the creation of something called a new humanity. The new humanity uh, is the humanity that has been kind of filtered and united through Jesus. So it was previously divided, and he even says he says for Jesus is our peace. And, and what Jesus has done has brought the two groups together into one. So it's not like you have Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. You just have Christians, some of whom are Jewish and some of whom are not Jewish. And so for Paul, the, the, the biggest divide that he was relating to is the divide between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. Gentile just means non-Jewish. And, um, and there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles uh, throughout history. And so for Paul, that was the big hot, the wall of hostility is something he calls it between the two groups. But the work of Jesus, central to the work of Jesus, was bringing those two groups into one and calling them a new humanity. There's no Jew or Greek. There, there was tons of cultural supremacy on both sides uh, in terms of how they thought about each other. But he keeps arguing, no, 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 the church is to model 
Um, the, the idea that every other identity that we could have, whether it's ethnic, economic, political, sexual, every other identity we could have has been subsumed now under the identity of what Paul calls in Christ. And in Christ swallows up all the other superficial identities, even though they don't feel superficial to us. He simply says that the, the identity in Christ is so foundational and so primary, it renders everything else secondary. And the outworking of that then means that the church models something called a new humanity where there's no place for the old divisions. Um, and that, that, that uh, as one theologian put it, um, it's, it's a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus' sake. You know, so Jesus has at the table, he has a tax collector and a zealot. Uh, these are natural enemies, not politically, but even, you know, there were tax collectors were targeted by zealots for assassination later on in Jewish history. And so, so Jesus settled the antagonisms that had divided the human race for so long. And, um, and, and as Paul works this out, he works it into a theology called a new humanity, that the church is not to be a place where people who are just like each other hang out. It's the church is to be a place bonded by the Eucharist, representing the common bond in Jesus, who uh, uh, who uh, represent people that would never have natural affinity towards each other, and but have affinity towards each other now because of what Christ has done. I mean, it's pretty pretty stinking amazing, and and the church has to model this. So we have we have two sorts of callings upon the church. One is the prophetic calling, where we stand against culture uh, in love. For the sake of the world to call out things that are not true or, or good or beautiful. But we also have a positive calling, and that is to model what it means to have Jesus as Lord. And the way we do that is through our corporate um, environment together, through displaying something called the new humanity. So it's not good if it's just a church with college kids, or just a church with old people, or just a church with white people, or just a church with rich people, or just a church. It's got to be, it's got to represent the abandoning of former hierarchies. It's one of the things I've loved about our community in California is you've got people sitting there who uh, you know, uh, uh, wear Trump t-shirts and uh, who've also come to the country illegally. Uh, people there who are in committed same-sex relationships and people who think committed same-sex relationships are sinful. People who vote uh, Republican and love it that Trump won and people that did not vote for Trump and wept the day uh, after his election. And, and again, we don't have it figured out by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a sense in which... Um, uh, one of the most beautiful things that a church should represent is that kind of diversity, not and not just in viewpoint, but in um, in race, uh, in socioeconomic status, in educational level, in age. This is what the new humanity is to be. So, how do we specifically, as individuals, um, begin to em- embrace our calling? And, and first of all. Paul calls us, he has this very interesting, he he says, I no longer see anybody from a worldly point of view. Even though we once saw Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So he's saying, now now I see people differently because I'm in Christ. He says, and God has given to us the the ministry of reconciliation. Now, now in context, he means the reconciliation between God and humanity. But that is also broadened it later in the context to include the reconciliation between people. 
And so one of the things, one of the filters I've had to learn to put on myself is the idea that peacemaking, a ministry of reconciliation, is one of our primary vocations. It's not just evangelism saving souls. Uh, it's also social justice. And, and, and social justice, not in the, it, it, by means of like just doing projects on the weekend for an hour. I mean, long, the long-term building of relationships that are, that are reciprocal and mutually beneficial. It means the working against the systemic evils and systemic injustices that are in our society. I mean, this is a long-term trenchant sort of approach. Peacemaking, now now it has outworkings in terms of how you treat your, the people that wait on you in a restaurant or the people that, that serve you in an airline. Um, absolutely. But it's bigger than that. And so so racial reconciliation, this this whole conversation is central to the outworking of the gospel. It's it's central to how the church should be in the world. And and we each have a part to play. What's that part? The part is peacemaking, or what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. And, and we've talked about, if you go back um, and listen to a previous podcast, we did the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. I would highly encourage you to listen to that again, because peacemaking is very deliberate. It's a very active. It's very engage, or engagement-oriented and very activist-oriented. Um, and, and you see peacemaking in Jesus, right? Jesus brought wholeness to people when he healed them. Uh, either of demonic spirits or, or you know, diseases. Jesus brought reconciliation. I mean, he sits at a table with a zealot uh, and a tax collector. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with Pharisees. Sinners and prostitutes were welcome at his table. Uh, he enabled people to have the same access to the kingdom. So there was no hierarchy, no restriction. Uh, part of what we have to do is make sure that everybody has equal access to the goods of our society. Um, and there were times peacemaking for Jesus meant calling out, like in harsh, harsh terms, the hypocrisy of the religious community. And um, so, so it's, it's, I think it's interesting when, um, when our president does something like this, that immediately evangelical Christians get lumped in because um, we, uh, according to the data, 80% of us voted for, for him. Uh, at least uh, 80% of the white tribe voted for him. And, you know, he's got this big faith council, and it's kind of synonymous. I mean, it's it's sort of sad that we get lumped in. But there's a sense in which peacemaking also includes times of calling out prophetic con- confrontation. and that Now, that's done in love and for the good of the other, but it's done. And Jesus had no problem calling the Pharisees, and who would have, I mean, again, been considered the tribe of righteousness uh, back in his day. And he was calling them, you know, the, the children of snakes and blind guides and whitewashed tombs. I mean, these were such offensive images. But there's a great prophetic tradition where the job of the prophet and the prophetic community was to speak out against the po- political power and its trust in violence. Um, or it's misuse of power and it's a, it's deceit or whatever. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, culminating, of course, in Jesus and in John the Baptist. Um, so, so peacemaking, uh, uh, racial reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. Peacemaking is kind of the second point, is our calling and our posture. What does that look like? Well, individually, first of all, it, anytime we're engaging in moral discourse... Jesus makes it very, very clear. We have to do so from a place of acknowledging our own sin first. So as easy as it was 
to jump on and, and condemn all the, condemn all these hateful people. You know, uh, they're evil, they're hateful, they have no place in our society. I mean, I'm hearing all this stuff and I'm like, okay, well, if that's the standard, then then I don't either. Because there have been times I have let uh, race play a factor in decision making. There have been times when I've been more fearful around one color than another color. Uh, there have been times when I've been I've been ignorant to the way um, systems and um, institutions in our society favor um, and privilege me, and my race and my my gender. Um, I, I, so are we sure? Like, I don't think that Jesus people get the opportunity to write off whole groups of people. Um, right, the whole love your enemies thing. I mean, to to the Jews that would have meant the Romans. So imagine, um, imagine ISIS is occupying America, and a rabbi comes in and says, "Listen, if they force you to carry, you know, their 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 weapons one mile, well, carry them two miles. You know, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other. I mean, my goodness. And there's context for all that. But what Jesus is doing, it is a form of peacemaking." But it would have sounded so ridiculous. And, and he even says, he says, what good is it if you love those who love you? Anyone and everyone does that. You are to love your enemies. That, that is what makes you distinctly kingdom people. So we don't, we don't get the opportunity just to look at white supremacists and say they're totally evil. Nope, because if, if, if that's our judgment, that judgment boom, boomerangs around on us because... Um, I don't stand on any morally superior position on which to judge them. I've seen in my own heart the darkness. I've seen in my own heart the sin. I've seen in my own heart the failure um, to love adequately, not just my neighbor, but my enemy. And so, so we first start by acknowledging the plank in our own eye. And that's where, you know, Trump voters need to have the guts to, to stand up and say what he's done here is wrong. Um, doesn't matter if you voted for him or not. The church cannot abandon its prophetic function. So, so when you know, if if the more progressive wing of the church never critiqued Obama, I mean that's a problem. If the more conservative wing of the church never critiques Trump, that's a problem, because our prophetic witness to the world is far more important than our political loyalty to a party to a person. And so when we talk about, all right, what's our response? My first response, anytime I see anything like this, confess my, my own sin, to deal with the plank in my own eye. What, do I roundly condemn? Of course I roundly condemn these guys. This is ridiculous. I thought the president's statement about many sides was inappropriate in that context. Um, and I thought it was really short-sighted. That is not the time for nuance. That is the time for, for absolute condemnation, particularly when some of the people were there in your name. Mr. President, and so <laughs> I think I think you missed an opportunity there. But I also think the church missed an opportunity, particularly those who voted for uh, our president, to say this is not okay. Um, we have to be able to engage in prophetic critique, but that always comes out of a place of our own um, our own brokenness, our own humility. And so that's why I was so disheartened. My timeline was full of righteous, infuriated Christians saying, listen, if your church doesn't preach on this tomorrow, I'll find a new church. The church should stay. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Great, 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 great. But, but where was the confession about all of our complicity in the ongoing toxic uh, air of racism in our world? Where, where's, that, where's that? 
right? I mean, I'm glad there were so so many prophetic critiques and and you know calls for condemnation and yes, 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 hallelujah. But there also has to be a grieving of 400 years of our history. There has to be a a, a willingness to acknowledge that that um, that I've played those by those same old divisions. That I haven't represented the new humanity well. The church has to confess um, its participation. Uh, an unwillingness at times to do the hard work of being multicultural in a multicultural world. I mean, we have to lead with confession. I'm sorry. We just don't get to stand in our righteous indignation. Um, we have, I'm all for critiquing, but that critique has to be softened by the humility um, that we have played a part in this. And and because I hear people say this all the time, well, I'm not racist, so what do I have to apologize for? And I'm like, that's not how this works. First of all, um, we've talked about the difference between an individual sin and the way sin builds up and and builds momentum and accumulates into something called iniquity, which is a uh, you know an old-fashioned Bible word that means the the rolling and ongoing consequences of individual sins. Like it's not you know so so sometimes in Israel the, the sin of a king will affect the whole nation. So the sin of our forefathers. In um, in how we treated the Native Americans, the first the first Americans, as some call them, um, the way we've we we built our industry and economics on uh, refugees, on slaves. I mean, oh my goodness! Even though as late as fifty years ago we weren't participating in this stuff, the iniquity, the momentum of it, the consequences of it still exist. And part of what waking up means. Um, at least for me, I don't know for you, but for me, it's meant realizing, oh, there are systems and structures that, uh, that, that are not, that, that perpetuate the inequities in, uh, American culture and that there are policies that need to be adjusted, um, that are educational, economic, immigration. I mean, all sorts of things need to be addressed so that justice and fairness and wholeness and shalom, um, can be present. And so, so for me, um, you know, specific things, you start with confession, you begin to, to wake up to uh, the fact that this isn't, it's just not like if, hey, if every white supremacist accepted Jesus, racism would go away. Nope, there, there are corporate, institutional, systemic evils that need to be adjusted too. And then, and then if, for those of us that believe in principalities and powers, to use Paul's phrase, um, principalities and powers, if, if there's a spiritual stronghold over the United States, well, of course there are, but one of them, one of the most powerful and the deepest would be about race. When we see the explosion of violence and anger and hatred and animosity around race in ways we don't see it in any other way. And so, so there has to be, we don't, we don't have the opportunity to just write this whole thing off say, and say, you know, we'll just pray for the white supremacists and if they come to Jesus, I'll be taken care of. Or just to say, yep, those guys are totally evil. No, we don't get that. We don't get that opportunity. What we have to do out of a place of brokenness, humility, and a desire to see the new humanity bill is that each of us begins to build relationships. And for younger folks, this is way easier. Um, 
Uh, but we have to be intentional building relationships with folks that aren't like us. That's why table fellowship for us is such a compelling topic. There was a story floating around my Facebook feed, so I never know whether it's true or not. But it was about a black man who'd befriended over 200 Ku Klux Klan members and had seen many of those friends disassociate themselves from the Klan because of their friendship with this black man. And this black man's a musician, Jesus follower, but you talk about peacemaking. I mean, that's what peacemaking looks like. It looks like engaging with your enemy. It looks like listening to your enemy's story. They don't, they, you know, they, I would guess, um, they, they didn't just, they didn't, what am I trying to say? They weren't born with um, the idea that white people are superior. They inherited that or they were hurt or they were, there's, some, there's something, a part of their story, there's some prequel to it. Um, that it would be interesting to hear. We don't, as Jesus followers, we don't just get to mark an X over one part of the population. We just don't, no matter how repugnant we think their views are, we just don't get to do that. Um, you, that's not only love your neighbor, but man, it's love your enemy. And so in that instance, it's the building of relationships. Negatively, it's the building of relationships with white supremacists and neo-Nazis. Positively, it's the building of relationships with your white, for, with people of color, to hear their stories, to, you know, um, my brother, I've said this before, my brother married a beautiful African-American woman, and that has opened my eyes and his eyes, you know, his children are black, and to, to see um, some of the shootings that have happened that were just horrific of black of black people um, by white officers to have seen um, uh, the disparity in response between neo-Nazis holding machine guns um, versus what happened in Ferguson, Missouri. I mean, you just you, you just realize there there is a difference. And to hear from some of my African-American friends, I mean, how many times they get pulled over simply in virtue of being African-American. Uh, or Latino, uh, as is, is in the case uh, to also, um, in, at least in SoCal. And so, so you know, you, you begin to just realize, oh my goodness, we have to not only negatively speak out against what is evil in culture, um, but we, ha- we do so from a place of humility. And we have to positively build relationships with... Uh, people of color, so that so, and they're reciprocal. It's not because we're the great white hope. Um, it's it's because um, we genuinely desire to appear and appreciate the stories of others, to legitimize them. Because I mean, frankly, it seems like white nationalism has been emboldened with some of the rhetoric or, that they have. You know, that it was either intentional from President Trump or unintentional from President Trump. Who knows? But it seems like they've been emboldened. And there are policies that have to be opposed, but you and I have to come uh, as people who realize that even white supremacists are made in God's image. White supremacists, Jesus died for. Uh, They're worthy of the ministry of reconciliation. And so we don't look at them from a worldly point of view. Now, that doesn't mean we agree. Of course not. We, we repudiate everything they stand for. It's, it's anti-Christ. It's anti-Bible. It's anti-God. Uh, we don't have a word strong enough for it. But we do it as fellow sinners, and we do it from a place that yearns for their redemption and the working of policy. Again, it's not just a spiritual issue, although, so we don't want to under-spiritualize it. 
and say, well, if we just change policies, it, racism will go away. That's not true. But we don't want to over-spiritualize it and just say, well, if people come, if all racists came to Jesus, racism would go away. No, because I do think there are policies and I do think there are institutions and systemic evils that perpetuate this that have to be changed. And so we try to come at this for, as whole people in a holistic manner. Anyway, those are the the things that have been rattling around. And, you know, I I always hate speaking on it because the last thing, you know, we need are are more, you know, white dudes speaking about race. Um, But but I felt like that that grieving part was missing. I felt like that humility part was missing from, you know, uh, my timeline. There was just so much fury either... And I just mean from Christians, there was so much fury at the white supremacists, but then there was so much fury at the church for not condemning white supremacy or the president for not condemning white supremacy or, or, um, or at Christians for not condemning white supremacy. Uh, but there was very little confession. There was very little grieving. There was very little um, empathy, at least, at least in my, Paul, my, my very small pocket of, of social media. And so I just thought I'd throw it out there and see what you think. As always, my brothers and sisters, um, we, we're so privileged uh, that you would tune in, that you would listen. And um, I can't thank you enough for the Patreon supporters. Oh my goodness, you guys. I can't even tell you how gracious and generous you are um, to support us in this way. And particularly during the midst of, of this transition when um, there's so many unknowns. To be able to have your support means so very much. Um, but as always, guys, uh, we're grateful for you and we're grateful to be engaging these topics with you. We're grateful for your comments, your feedback, your questions. Love, would love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, particularly those of you that are people of color. Uh, if you have any, anything you want to add, anything I misstated, anything that you would correct, um, anything you have questions about, be fun to keep the dialogue going. So, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And these days, these days, most of all, may he give us peace. Amen and amen. See you next time. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.